travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Books can do that magical thing of transporting us to a faraway, mystical part of the world, whetting our appetite to travel somewhere, or perhaps scaring us off that destination entirely. And then there are those books that people read while traveling in a destination to bring them closer to it. On this episode, we'll share and chat about some interesting books about Asia that have been very memorable for us and you might find informative and may inspire you to travel. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates and with me, as always, is... Always Trevor, not always in Phnom Penh, but uh, glad to be back with you again, Scott. It's always nice to catch up, have a little chat before the show, and then discuss something that uh, you and I are both interested in. In this case, it's uh, reading, which I know you read quite a lot of books, so I bet your list here is probably pretty interesting. Yeah, and you know, strangely, we share WhatsApp messages, but we don't actually speak that much, which is even weirder considering it's free to call between countries or internationally. But these do serve as a good meeting point for the two of us. And yeah, I do read a fair bit. I go through swings. I don't think I've read anything really in about three weeks, but I generally have a couple of books on the go. And this was kind of one of those other ones where like, are there, is there enough to have an episode about this? And started thinking about books that I'd read about Asia or that I found interesting and inspired me about Asia. And yeah, all of a sudden we probably had too many for an episode. So yeah, I'm into it, man. I think the first book I can really remember, or first few that got me thinking about other parts of the world. I remember I was about 16 and I bought a book. I think the guy's Canadian, Robert Young Pelton, and he wrote The Most Dangerous Places in the World. And it was, say, about 25, 30 countries. And they were literally, you could die going there and how to go there. And I remember Georgia was one. And I ended up going there three years ago with my dad. Like that place has changed a lot. And then two other ones that I remember really captivated me were Into Thin Air and The Climb about the disaster on Everest. And I just, you know, as they talked about being in Kathmandu and getting to the mountains, I remember I couldn't really wrap my head around what that would be like. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, a couple of things. Um, first, I did not read Into Thin Air, but I saw the IMAX film Everest that they shot while Krakauer right. was up there writing the book. And, uh, Crazy. and and that's one interesting thing we'll touch on today where like a lot of these popular or interesting books have been made into films, right? The other thing, though, was like when you mentioned the, the most dangerous places in the world, when I go back to like when I first traveled to Asia, I had this book on infectious diseases that uh, captivated me <laughs> and told you in like full detail about all the sorts of different types of uh, pathogens that you would come across in your travels in say africa or central america or or asia and i ended up in asia first and, and that book actually sort of comforted me that we were of one of the safer areas to, to travel but it's funny how like different books about asia came to mind when we started brainstorming this episode whether it was that type of nonfiction or you know classic works um from like george orwell or our pop culture alex garland um, I think there's some interesting books on our list. 
Yeah, there are. And you know what? I just had a, a trance. I just had a time warp because I remember being in about grade six or seven and there was a book order system. And somehow I ended up with some books about a guy named Mac Bolin, who was some special ops American guy. And he was in Laos and I had no idea where Laos was. Mm. And I looked on a map and I just remember thinking like, whoa, what is that place? Where is that? And lo and behold, I've been there lots of times now. So Look, um, before we get into this, we always like to remind people that we do this out of the goodness of our heart and uh, it costs money and we need support to keep it going. And we have wonderful people called patrons and they sponsor the show from as little as a dollar a month up to $25 or more. And they get a warm, fuzzy feeling knowing they help keep the show going and inspiring us and propelling us on. But also in between these regular episodes, we give a little bonus episode. Sometimes it's a video. We recently, a few months back, shared a video of me riding a motorbike through Bangkok traffic. So if you like the show you're listening, click on donate on the website or go to patreon.com and get on board, please. So how do you want to do this, Trevor? Um, you know, I, before we get into it, like just because when I brainstormed okay. my list, you know, I came up with things either that I still had on my bookshelf or that came readily mm-hmm. to mind. But just as we were warming up here, I just remembered like, hey, you know, like we've had guests on the show that have written books about Asia before as well. So, uh, you know, th- obviously I'm familiar with some of these other interesting favorite books of ours, including Very Thai and Very Bangkok from Philip Cornwell Smith. Oh, right. And uh, Tom Vodder had a, a Sacred Skin book like a photograph and history book about the sacred thai tattoos which our other guest joe cummings also wrote a book about um, on sakyan uh, called sakyan yes so we'll have links to all of these books and all the other books we talk about we'll have links to um on our show notes talk travel asia.com i don't know scott you want to just get into the list or you want to talk about some other books that might pop to mind at the moment one that always comes to mind is Buddhist Stupas of Asia, which is out of print, but Joe made. And as the name suggests, it explores the key Buddhist stupas in Asia. It's a beautiful book. He gave me a copy nice. years ago. And if you can get your hands on that and you're interested in stupas and learning about the major ones in Asia, that's a, a really good one. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole if I think of too many. So do you want to kick it off with one that just kind of sticks out to you for some reason, Trevor? Um, no, I can start at the top of my list, though. And, and again... I had trouble at first coming up with books because I think it was like when I talk about travel destinations and, and we haven't had the opportunity to travel in many years. So like my reading has become very esoteric in, in recent years and I haven't touched on this topic in so long that the first Asia book I came up with was, was Travels by Michael Crichton, which I was like, he traveled everywhere in the world. He must have gone to Asia in it. And I can't actually remember the Asia chapters, but he went to Sri Lanka and New Guinea. And I bet that would have been interesting because um, Michael Crichton is the the author of Jurassic Park and a bunch of other like best-selling right. novels. And this is a autobiography of uh, when he wrote The Andromeda Strain, which was his first bestseller while in medical school. Okay. He was a Harvard med school student and he dropped out of medical school with his the big money he made on the Andromeda strain and he traveled the world and and this is like the the lessons in his travels and uh he, he went to Shangri-La was one of the other places and and that's always been a place I think that conjures up images of like adventurers with quill pens you know and I don't remember if, if the Shangri-La that he visited was that idyllic anymore because uh, I almost made it there when we were in Yunnan 
a number of years back and i don't know that it's uh not over touristy still um but uh, i think that's Mm. one of the cool things about travel books like that that they can cap capture a place in order to present it well enough which he did on in other destinations like diving in these atolls with hammerhead sharks in south pacific you know but cool book okay i've never even heard of it i've read a few of his other books but i've never heard of that so that's one i may get into uh, this first one, I'm not saying it's my favorite or anything, and it's, it's kind of popcorn bubblegummy. But hey, uh, I think most people or a lot of people that make it to Thailand, younger people particularly, end up reading The Beach by Alex Gardland. And, you know, for what it was, it was fun. And sometimes when a movie gets big, it almost ruins the book. But I think he did a pretty darn good job of nailing the backpacker vibe particularly in the 90s and discovering that unknown spot that everyone's trying to find. And and so it was fun. Maybe living here made it a bit more fun. And in fact, our friend Joe Cummings, who we mentioned, he apparently outed a resort called The Sanctuary in Kopanga that was actually the model for the beach. And I was at a bar once with the owner of the sanctuary and Joe and the owner of the sanctuary kept kidding around about how Joe ruined his resort mm. because everyone knew about it and so forth. Cause he put it in his guidebook. So look, it's, it's Hollywood, Hollywoody, but that's a real easy one and, and it's fun. And I think it kind of puts you in the time mood. Yeah. You know, I haven't read that one. I've obviously seen the movie and, uh, and know, you know, a bit of these, these stories and stuff. And that's kind of cool too. I mean, Alex Garland's a great writer, so I, I imagine it's a captivating book. And uh, I think that, that they made a cool movie out of it, too. So it's cool that, that when stories can make a place famous or something, I don't know, they do sometimes. Eat, eat Pray, Love it I sure is like that. I don't think Eat, Pray, Love is on your map, but on, on your list. No. But I mean, Bali was already famous before then. But, uh, you know, I mean, sure. so many ac- American accents I overhear in Ubud may have been inspired by that, you know. I'm going to go with uh, next on my list. I, I thought I've only read a couple of novels set in asia i've sort of missed that genre i've met a few like there's some books set in bangkok called like bangkok dangerous and and those who wrote do you know some of the the, big mango is another big one yeah the big mango like and i met one of these guys who who's been writing these books for decades and he's super cool i can't remember his name so our guest tom vader who who we had on to talk about calcutta and uh, life as a travel writer he did that book on the thai tattoos the sacred skin but mm-hmm. also like coffee table books about like indian palaces that have been converted into swanky hotels but he also was involved in a, a publishing house and they published kind of crime drama and you know it's right adventure kind of stories like the one that i read of his that is the devil's road to Kathmandu, and uh i read that too yeah and that was a fun story but like it's it's about four friends in the 1970s who had driven the hippie trail from London to Kathmandu and then the bad drug deal goes down and, and they get away barely. Um, decades later, they come back because of an anonymous letter and, and they have to relive this kind of adventure. And, and it's a fun read, but like it, it's cool to read about a place you've never been to and you can only sort of imagine like like Afghanistan, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, it's interesting to, to know that people live that and, and did things like this. Right. But like, it's very unfamiliar to me. So that's cool that it can conjure up really cool evocative images. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I forgot I read that one. It was quite enjoyable. I also read uh, Cambodian Book of the Dead by Tom, which was quite fun. And they're often on really, really low sale on Amazon as well. So that's cool that you called that one out. One I had forgotten about, but I looked at my bookshelf when we were playing this, was called Tiger for Breakfast by Michael Pissell. I've probably said his name wrong. And when I was leading some trips in Nepal years ago, our business partner there told me about it. And I can't remember all of it. I'm going to have to read it again. But I remember it was bloody hilarious, super interesting. And it's about this fellow named Boris of Kathmandu, everyone knew him by. And he was in Nepal in like the late 50s. And I think he might have run the Royal Hotel. And he befriended everyone, like everybody who was someone in, in Nepal and Kathmandu. He knew them. He had inroads with them. And it's an absolutely fascinating tale of the city and the country before it really opened up to travelers. Because I think... They only opened up in the 60s or something to foreigners. And I remember he recalls um, an event where they bring the first car in and, and what went through with that disassembling it and carrying it over the mountains. And I just remember it being really funny, really fun. And so I think whether you've been in Nepal or not, Tiger for Breakfast is a really, really good one. Cool. Yeah. I like some of these on your list that I haven't read that I can now hopefully get a chance to read once I have some free time. Again, these are great travel books for the most part. Um, this next book of mine is, mm -hmm. is not, it's more of a, a big coffee table book. Um, it's called the, the ancient Khmer empire from white Lotus press. Mm. Um, so I don't know if anyone who, who's okay. listening is familiar with white Lotus press. Scott, do you know white Lotus press? I feel like I've heard about. If them, you've seen the books, in. they're they're white. Like it's always a white cover and a white spine, and they produce hmm. kind of academic texts. Like I have a book of like the Khmer temples of Thailand that they published, and it's all like really early accounts. Oh, okay. So this book is from Lawrence Palmer Briggs. It was written in 1951, or first published in 1951, and it's this big old book and mine is dog-eared and filled with bookmarks and covered with notes and pen and pencil and highlighters since it came out in 51 like it's a little dated here and there because discoveries at Angkor have changed the historical sure. narrative a bit you know um but it's so awesome i mean it's got family trees of the Angkorian royal family from all sorts of inscriptions and there's translations of different king's reigns that he like put together from all the different temples where it's mentioned and it's it's really cool and really interesting uh i read it all the time i picked it up i'm actually working with a friend on, on doing some like scavenger hunts up around uh siem Reap and maybe like just talking about Angkor exploration and uh so i grabbed the book again just because it's full of all the floor plans of the temple maps uh you know like drawn in the early 19th century you know so it's not a great book to travel with um but if like for people like me this was on my top 10 most influential books of all time list when i made that COVID facebook challenge list last year or 2020. wow that's a that's a big one i'm gonna have to next time i'm at your place have a look yeah, at that thing and, you know those old travel books are neat uh dan fraser who we had on this once he has a book and i can't remember the name but it is how to travel from Singapore to Bangkok in like 1910 or something. And they literally tell you where to eat. And he marvels at the gas lamps that the Mandarin Oriental has. Mm. So reading those old kind of travel books are really fun. Um, look, my next one is an epic size book and an epic read called A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. 
and it's set in an unspecified Indian city and follows the lives of a few characters as they navigate life in India. And there's this terrible character who's a beggar master who manages all the beggars, makes some people, turns them into beggars. And it really just shows how horrible and challenging life can be at times in a, in a country so packed and how tough it is to get a leg up and navigate the police. Takes a good 150 pages to get into. It's not the happiest of books, but boy, does it paint an accurate, seemingly accurate picture of life in India. And it is really mesmerizing and takes you on an absolute trip. And I'm not going to say anything more about that, but it's probably like 800 pages. But that is probably one of my top 10 books of all time. A fine balance. Wow, that's uh, quite a you know good hype for that book because uh, India seems like that kind of place. And, and it's funny that you picked that one because the next book on my list was Shantaram, which is like an 800, ah. that's an 800 page. I don't know if it's 800 pages. It could be. Um, it's an epic. Yeah. That's a yeah, massive, thick, very dense, rich, semi-true story of this Australian man mm -hmm. who who's on the lamb and ends up in India and ends up working as a, as a doctor in, in the slums of Mumbai and gets involved with the mafia and has this crazy love affair. And, you know, it's all that sounds so melodramatic, but like there's such colorful characters, colorful descriptions, like you were just saying in that book you just mentioned about how evocative the imagery is, you know, and, and I think that Roberts, this guy did a great job, like his book's funny, it's evocative, like I've never been to India, but like the picture he paints is so vivid, like you can smell and taste it, you know? Yeah, it is not only one that will inspire you for travel, but it's just a super fun book it's got to be one of the funnest books i've read in the last decade almost and i did go to mumbai after reading it and i went to leopold's the one cafe they're always hanging out at and i went to another one and yeah it did a fantastic job that was a fun book good good call out there that's a fantastic one my next one is about true history and it's called mad about the mekong i think i've mentioned it multiple times on the show by john kier and when I went to Sipandon in southern Laos that I've definitely talked about almost too much on this show, I wanted to read about that area. And it's the incredible true story of the Mekong Exploration Commission, which I think set out from Saigon in 1866 to map the Mekong from there heading north to find its roots into Asia. And eventually China was their hope. And their feeling as aristocratic French gentlemen was that as you map it out, well, then it just becomes part of France. So they literally had a crew. I, I was going to say they pulled their boat upriver, but I'm sure they were telling others how to do it. But they had hooks and they literally pulled the boat up the Mekong River and they end up going, yeah, through Cambodia. Then they get to Laos and they hit those rapids at 4,000 islands mm -hmm. and they disassemble the boats. They bring railway equipment up, and that's why they built a railway across those two islands in Sipandon mm. to move the disassembled boats across the two islands, past the rapids, put them back together. They get all the way up to Luang Prabang, wow. and they are kept as quote-unquote guests of the monarch there at the time for a little while, and they need money, and a guy just goes, hey, I'll go to the French consulate in Siem Reap which I don't know, that's got to be 600 yeah. kilometers yeah. away. And yeah. I don't know how he gets there, but he walks. And four months later, he comes back with a huge chest full of money. And then they end up in Burma. And it is bloody incredible to think about just how, you know, 150 years ago, how exploration was and how unknown this part of the world is. So, and it's a pretty light read. Mad about the Mekong. Highly, highly recommend it. Wait, wait. When, what year was that book set? 1866 for okay. a couple of years. Okay, yeah. so in 1871... 
the next book on my list occurs. And you know what's really interesting is because like this book, it's so the jacket cover illustration and the blurb on the back, like sell the story like the one you just presented to me. Like you're like, ooh, this sounds so exciting. And you know, honestly, when I when you're like, I know you're really into like the Mekong and Mekong exploration. And like, you know, we just did an episode recently all about the Mekong, right? So I was like, oh, of course. That's right. I thought this Mekong book was on your list the same way that my temple book is on my list because I'm just a big (laughs) geek, you know, and like no one else is really going to be into it. But like, that sounds awesome. I, because I'm interested to know what Luang Prabang and the the royalty up there was like in the 1860s. That would be really cool to read about, you know? So this book sells itself as a 1871 it's called elephant train from phnom penh to bangkok and it is about Hmm. french it's an actual translation of the diary of french naval lieutenant jules marcel broussard de corbenier perhaps uh it's about his journey in a royal elephant caravan deputized to bring back Khmer princesses held by the royal court of siam wow yes i gotta read that yeah well the short of it is like it's it's short the book it's only like 80 pages or something like that maybe um which is fine because it is a bit dry and there's some photos which is cool because they took is there photos in your book uh, there are a few photos, yeah. Yeah, because the 1860s, 70s, they had some photography then. And it would have been a mission just to, you'd need a whole elephant just for the camera equipment probably, right? But yeah, it was something okay. like, it's like 80 or 90 elephants. Maybe it's 100 elephants. So it was a royal caravan. And so the the beginning of the story is obviously grand and fascinating. And the end when they arrive, that's interesting, right? And then you get to stop in Batambang. Yeah. Batambang is along the way. But again, that's a really far distance. I don't know, that's probably 500, 600 kilometers too, between Bangkok and Phnom Penh. So I mean, yeah, so, for sure. So most of the story is just like, we rode an elephant all day. And then we rode an elephant the next day. And like, and it is kind of funny, because it is a, a firsthand account. And, and it, it is a little tedious and difficult getting on those things. And they're not necessarily comfortable riding on an elephant in a little platform thing on top that's domed and stuff they're they're pretty funny so there's moments that are interesting and charming and interest but it but it can be kind of dry and boring at times too it was a nice little read i just picked it up at the airport um so it's fun just to have in your bag to read one day but uh yeah i like these old stories maybe you can bring that over next time you can because that sounds i can bring that that's good pool reading for you you can read that at the pool no problem Perfect. That sounds good. Well, keeping with history, this one is a little dry as well, but I found it quite fascinating. The Great Game by Peter Hopkirk. And the Great Game, for those of you that don't know, was played between the Russian Empire and the British Empire for supremacy in Central Asia. So they were trying, the British trying to preserve India, which was the key to the British Empire and their wealth at that time. And these two imperial powers, you know, thousands of kilometers apart, started to explore the vast deserts and almost impassable mountain ranges that is now Central Asia. And at one point, they were only separated by about 35 odd kilometers or something between one another. But it's a pretty big one. I think it's about 500 pages. And again, a little dry at times, but it's it's really quite something to hear how, again, back in the 19th century, these two big empires are just going across the massive area of Central Asia and slowly trying to learn about it and figure out how to get around and learn what the other one has been doing without giving away their position and slowly building up partnerships and so forth. So that's a very interesting one. 
Yeah, cool. I kind of like the flow we're going here. I'm, I've gone to a fun read yeah. as well. You know, one day I was on the Sky Train and I just, some guy started talking to me and, and he was this kind of aspiring gonzo journalist and we kept in touch. And then one day I got an email and he's like, hey, you know, buy my book. And so I went to the Amazon and got it on my Kindle and it was fun. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to recommend it to you guys if you're okay. looking for a fun adventure Southeast Asia read. And it's called Chicken 99. Okay. And uh, never heard of it. And it's almost like Fight Club. Like I could get in trouble for, for mentioning the Chicken 99. But Chicken 99 is like this cannonball run style adventure mo- automobile race around Southeast Asia. Okay. And it's been running since the 1960s. And it's like this secret like race every year. And you have to like drive from Bangkok up through like Laos to Vietnam where you have to like capture a chicken from like some Vietnamese general and then bring it back to Bangkok. <laughs> and it's just kind of a crazy story. <laughs> it's about these two guys who stumble into, they, they accidentally end up like in the Bangkok bar off like soy cowboy or uh, Pat Pong, I think where they end up like getting involved in this crazy race. Actually, I, I think it was like the Miami hotel, you know, the Miami hotel on Sukhumvit. Oh, I, I do know of the Miami. Hotel. Yeah. Okay. So that's what was kind of cool about this book. And it was interesting because like, I know he lived in, in, in Southeast Asia for a few years. I don't know how many years, several years, let's say, but like when he wrote about like getting in trouble in Vang Vieng while you're like on this crazy cannibal run, it really felt like Vang Vieng. Like he, he really captured what like, you know, like the outskirts of, of Vang Vieng would have been like, you know, or like the local, Lao people live and, and maybe some weirdo expat hmm. guy and dodgy KTV or karaoke bar was, you know, like, I don't know. He, he really kind of, he, he told me things that I was familiar with enough. So that I was like, Oh yeah, that's fun. And, and that, you know, again, the people and the characters were believable to, you know, realistic characters I've come across in Southeast Asia over the years. So like, it, it was a fun story. I'll keep it really light and fun. And uh, Tie Stick by Peter McGuire. I mean, it's not quite as good as some of the other books we've mentioned, but it's just light, fun read about some Californian smuggling classic Thai stick marijuana mm-hmm. out of Thailand back to the U.S. in the 70s. And it does paint that time period pretty well and sort of what was going on here and in America. And they would gradually get larger quantities of weed and bigger boats and manage to move them from like one boat out into the ocean and then to another boat and then to the U.S. But what struck me as really interesting was that two of the guys towards the end are caught by the Khmer Rouge when they're going through uh, Cambodian waters. And it reminded me that when I went through S21, the notorious prison that the Khmer Rouge used in Phnom Penh, there are photos and accounts of these two foreigners. Mm. And those are the two foreigners that are documented in that prison are the two guys from this book, two of the characters that were smuggling weed. And yeah, the KR stopped him on his boat and brought him in. So it's not the most awesome book, but it, but it was just fun. It's perfect for a beach. Hmm. Last thing on my list, I just had like uh, some, you know, again, I looked at my bookshelf to see like, oh, what Asia books can I talk about? And of course, I have lots of books about Cambodia up in Siem Reap. So uh Shout out to Art and Architecture of Cambodia by Helen Jessup Ibbotson. Um, when I was writing my book for National Geographic, uh, her insight on like the sculpture and iconography and carvings on, on lintels and whatnot, like really good stuff, really interesting. And makes it, you know, like 
a subject like art history that isn't something that I've studied before accessible. And, you know, again, I'm a big nerd about the, the history of Cambodia and because and all of these things right. are religious uh, images, um, but really cool. Another book was uh, The Khmer Civilization by Michael Coe. And again, like, uh, okay, that's also really cool about like that, you know, the history and agriculture and stuff like that. But he also touches uh, on a lot of the religion um, in, in really interesting ways. He picks out really cool features of the civilization to present you that I didn't find in, in other books as frequently, let's say like it was a cool, like, you know, it's fun when I look at these books, like they do have lots of notes in them. Lots of times there'll be like a cross reference. So I know that like in the, the, okay. in the art and architecture of Cambodia book, there's probably cross references to co page 27 or something like that. And then there's references from where co has, you know, some inscription mentioned, I can find that in uh, the, my civilization book right the big coffee table one um and then finally for just an anchor travel guide book uh there's a book called anchor uh by don rooney ah. which is just a originally okay. a pocket guidebook um she wrote one of the original like just traveler guidebooks for americans visiting anchor temples i don't know when don's book was first published but uh when i was writing my book i had the opportunity to meet her at the raffles hotel for some tea or, or a drink or something and uh she's such a wonderful woman so she, she's written some interesting books in addition to just this travel guidebook but it was funny that when i met her whatever like fifth or seventh edition of her book was coming out they had expanded it to put this big forward or i don't know what they they included in it and it became like a much larger book and she was upset because i'm paraphrasing but quote she's like a lady shouldn't carry a book that large you know and but it's sort of <laughs> true because if it's a heavy tome and while you're walking around temples you don't want this big clunky thing you know with you but yeah i like her book it's one of the best yeah, you've recommended it a lot, and that's one I'm not sure why I haven't picked up yet, but uh, you've piqued my interest even further. Uh, I'm going to blast through two. I somehow have two here to tack on to the end. This first one is very famous, The Girl in the Picture by Kim Fook. I think she lives in Toronto, Canada now, but she is famous for being the nine-year-old girl that on June 8th, 1972, was super burned by napalm as the U.S. bombed her village. And she's running naked down the road because her clothes were burned off by the napalm. It's one of the most you know famous images from the Vietnam War. And it really tells the story of her life, but how that photo came to be, and then what happened to her after that photo as well. And she ended up in, in Canada, as I mentioned, but it's I mean, it, it's pretty sad, but but really interesting. And another one is a former guest of ours, Jeffrey Kane, wrote The Perfect Police State about the security apparatus in Xinjiang, in uh, China, then the way they've been policing and detaining and keeping track of their Uyghur population. It is truly terrifying that they've built this apparatus and mechanism. What I find more terrifying is that they're selling this kind of stuff to other countries around the world. And I wonder, will we as humans be able to resist it? But it's incredibly sad what they have done and they are doing to the Uyghur population in Xinjiang. And I think for anyone that's interested in that, it's a must read. And I am probably now not allowed in China after mm. just saying all that. I was just thinking of that, what I was going to say, because I was going to comment on both of those. Yeah, the girl in the picture, um, a friend of mine just read that recently. I spoke with him about it like two nights ago. And like, it's one of those things I think that affects you, right? It's, you know, there's, there's a 
not without yeah. my father. You know, there's there's a very tragic history in in, in this region from war, and reading some of these war stories are tough. And my understanding is that the the person who took the photograph that the book is about, the photographer took their own life, I believe, which is shocking as well. I think you might be right. I can't remember yeah. that part, but yeah. And then uh, the perfect police state, yeah, like Jeff Kane, um, who um, I spoke with recently. Uh, yeah, great writer. Ah, cool. He's a great writer. Like, this is a great book. Like, it's so interesting. It, it, you know, it really felt like I was reading a Dark Mirror episode because it, it's so like... He has a flair for a good nonfiction narrative, having written also uh, that Samsung Rising. He wrote a book about the Samsung dynasty and the, oh, the economy right. of, of Japan. Um, and then uh, he recently interviewed uh, the Ukrainian president for Wired magazine. Perfect Police State's good. Yeah, good book. So, yeah, I think, and you know what? I actually had a couple of more left on the list, just little random ones I thought of at last minute, but we can save those. Maybe we'll end up doing an interesting books about Asia too someday. We should. I just thought of six more that I've read <laughs> while we were doing this yeah. and I've called them up. Yeah. So I think we definitely have a number two in the bag. Obviously, there's a lot of real famous books from this region we didn't get into, but look, we'll have links to these books on the website. So make sure you go through and click through them and get through them. I think there's a pretty neat mix of just light, fun ones sitting on the beach and then diving deep into history and a little bit of everything in between. So yeah, I'm glad we, we've done this. And now I'm going to have to go back and read a few of the ones you mentioned that uh, I've never mentioned. Travels, I got to read that one. I think I'm kind of interested in that elephant one and then Don Rooney's as well. I've, I've never gotten through those three. Yeah. You know, I could see if I have an extra Don Rooney because, sorry, Don, I have some photocopy books of your books. And Nick Ray, too, if we're going to give shout outs to like Lonely Planet authors, the Lonely Planet Cambodia, yeah. I got a photocopy of that or two. You, end up, you usually end up with like five of them, right? Because friends who visit, they just buy copies and then they leave them laying around your house or something. Actually, the elephant book is up in Siem Reap, so I won't be able to bring that to you this time. But I'll see if I have one of Don's books. Well, hopefully we inspired you to pick up a book or two as much as we've just done with each other. Remember, click donate on our website or go to patreon.com and sponsor the show and then get the bonus stuff between each of these episodes. So thanks for listening. Happy reading. Trevor, can you wrap this thing up? Yeah. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Um, go to the website, check out the show notes. I'll put a link to my own book that I wrote about Cambodia on there. Um, otherwise, stay tuned. Eventually, I'll finish the novel I'm working on, and I'll have a link to that, too. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in Cambodia?